0: This is the Unraveled podcast with hosts Caleb Aring and Nicole Richards. Join us as we unravel a new case every season. You are listening to season one, The Nightmare in Ada. I'm Caleb Aring. I'm Nicole Richards. And you're listening to episode 6 of season 1 of Unraveled. Before we get into the episode, I just want to note that I had a little bit of a technical error last week. And I actually have no idea what happened. But the last 8 or 9 minutes of the episode cut off. So I have re-uploaded the episode. If you already listened to it and you want to download it again and catch the last 9 minutes of it you should be able to just update your iTunes or your Android app and have the full episode on there. If you're listening to this after October 18th, then the full-length episode should already be uploaded in your app, and that full-length episode is 48 minutes long. And now, back to today's episode. last week's episode we had a great interview with Jim Trainum.
1: We were really excited to talk to Jim and I think that the interview that we had with him really gave some amazing insight into what can go wrong in an interrogation.
0: What we want to do on today's episode is go over Tommy's taped confession and also go over Carl's taped confession and hold those up to the light of what we learned in our interview with Jim Trainum, and try to take a look and see, are these solid, good, valid confessions? And Nicole, what were those things that Jim was saying were really important?
1: Well, the biggest things that he hadn't said that once you have an, a confession is that the information that you have obtained needs to be reliable and needs to be able to be corroborated. Those were the big things that, that was how you were going to really know that you had gotten good information. And in our case with Tommy, which is the first uh, confession that we will look at, is that this information, once we're going to go through it, is that we're going to hold it up against what Jim said. Is, is this reliable information and can this information be corroborated? So we're going to start with the taped confession that we have from Tommy and this confession came after many, many hours of Tommy being in police custody and being questioned, all of which is not recorded.
0: And just to remind listeners really briefly, and we discussed this in episode four, Tommy went in, he took a lie detector test. He was told that he failed that lie detector test, which Jim Trainum told us is something that the police are allowed to say whether or not it's true and failing that lie detector test led Tommy into telling the police about a dream and we're going to read parts of the confession in today's episode we're going to do our best to make it not confusing it's a little bit difficult even when read in their entirety these confessions are confusing and we also don't want to read The whole confession's on the podcast. I think that could get really boring. But we're going to do our best to not make it too confusing.
1: And we'll do that by... When we are reading parts of the confession that are word for word, sort of indicate when we are doing that, Caleb will speak on behalf of the investigators. I will speak on behalf of Tommy in this case.
0: And we... I tried to get tapes of these confessions, but I couldn't get the tapes, but we do have the transcripts. So like Nicole said, we're going to be each taking a role and reading from the transcripts.
1: The beginning of the tape is really just Tommy um, giving information that he has not been coerced to say anything. He has not been promised anything He's basically just sort of saying he's been allowed to have something to drink, he's been allowed to use the restroom, he's been allowed to eat, um, he was read his Miranda rights, and that's kind of the beginning of the tape. It's very much them just sort of saying, going over the fact that he's been treated well and that none of this is something that he has been threatened to do or that he is doing any of this against his will. Also, it is, it is brought up at the beginning that he has been offered an attorney or he has the right to an attorney and he has the right to be silent, but that he has said he doesn't want an attorney and he understands his rights and he is still moving forward with this confession. So that's really the beginning of the, of the transcripts that we have that talk about this, um, this tape is that's what we're kind of going through.
0: So to try to make this a little bit less confusing, as we read from the transcript, uh, we will read the words question and answer when we're actually reading from the transcript. Question. Just go ahead and begin. Feel free to drink your Coke or have a cigarette as you talk.
1: Answer. Okay.
0: Question. Whatever makes you feel comfortable.
1: Answer. Okay. All right. On... Do I start with the date?
0: Question. That's fine.
1: Answer. Alright. On, what, the 28th of April?
0: Question. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Answer. April. Me and...
0: Question. Do you recall the day of the week?
1: Answer. It was a Saturday.
0: Question. Saturday? Okay, that's fine. Go ahead.
1: Answer. Okay. I was at a keg party and I ran into a couple of guys that I hadn't seen in a long time. And one of them's name was Titsdale. And he asked me if I wanted to go riding around with them and go get high and drink some beer. And I told him sure. And so we went riding around and went out by...
0: Question. Tommy, excuse me. Before you get into your story now, you said Titsdale now.
1: Answer. Titsworth.
0: Question. Okay. What's his first name?
1: Answer. I can't recall it.
0: Question. Is it Odell?
1: Answer. Odell Titsworth.
0: Question. All right. And who was the other person besides Odell Titsworth?
1: answer, Carl Font.
0: So let's talk about just that first bit where they're setting up the information of what happened and who was there.
1: So what struck me when I read this transcript was thinking of what Jim said and thinking of how information is, is supposed to be obtained is very, right out of the gates, I see that Tommy is not sure on the date. He asks the question, is is it the 28th of April? And the the investigator says, uh-huh. And then he moves forward. And then the second part is that when we start to... This is when Odell Titsworth is first introduced in his confession. And Tommy doesn't know what his name is. And he first calls him by the wrong last name. He calls him Titsdale instead of Titsworth. And then he cannot recall his first name and the police give him his first name and to me that strikes me as the first sort of red flag in this confession that comes up because odell titsworth will go on to be this huge sort of focal point in tommy's confession
0: in both of their confessions and we'll cover that throughout this episode
1: Right. And so it strikes me as a red flag when, during this confession, Tommy, for one, gets his last name incorrect, and then for two, doesn't actually know his first name.
0: And then the next piece of this confession, which is really muddled in a large paragraph, but which seems relevant to include, is that Tommy is telling the story and he says that Odell Titsworth wants to get some money, and Tommy says, well, I know of this place, McAnally's, where we could go and rob them. And Tommy goes on to say, Titsworth started throwing stuff around, and she, being Denise, came out from behind the counter, and he grabbed her and pushed her over to me. And what I find really interesting in that, Nicole, is that one of the things that we discussed previously is that this doesn't seem like a robbery gone wrong, right? There's this cigarette there, there, there's a burning cigarette, there's an open beer can, and that doesn't really seem to fit into this narrative that Tommy's giving us, including the fact that the store wasn't a mess.
1: Absolutely. The This is like when it comes into the confession that... The information that he is giving does not line up with our investigative, like the investigation work done at the scene of the crime. Because we have to remember in prior episodes, we talked about this scene. We talked about what folks walked into when they came into that convenience store and they knew she was missing. That Jean had walked past her walking into the store. That there was no sign of a struggle. There was no sign of forced entry. There was no, the store was not flipped over. Yet when, Tommy goes on during this confession, he says that Titsworth started throwing things around the store, they grabbed her, they um, kind of forcibly got her to leave the store, which is not at all what our eyewitnesses saw.
0: Well, and because of bad detective work, we're missing some key pieces of information. For example... What way was that beer can facing? Was was the opening facing Denise or facing away from the counter? Was it hers or was it somebody else's? Whose fingerprints were on it? Were they only her fingerprints or were there someone else's? But if that beer was facing away, if that cigarette was facing away, then whose was it? And where was that person who was smoking that burning cigarette when these boys came into the store? And those are pieces that We can't really match up to this part of the confession because of the shoddy police work early on. Uh, So let's skip ahead to another part of the confession. Question. Okay, who was the first person in the store?
1: Answer, Titsworth.
0: Question. Did he have any kind of
1: weapon? Answer, yes, he had a knife.
0: Question. What kind of knife was it?
1: Answer, it was a lock blade he carried on his side.
0: Question. About how long was the blade?
1: Answer. It was about this long, indicating about six inches long.
0: Question. About a six-inch blade, lock blade, pocket knife?
1: Answer. Uh-huh.
0: Question. So he went in first, he being Titsworth, he went in first and started throwing stuff around. Is that correct?
1: Answer. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Question.
0: Question. And you went in behind him.
1: Answer, yes, sir.
0: Question, and at that point she came out around the counter to keep him from... What kind of stuff was he throwing around in the store?
1: Answer, it was the potato chips and stuff that was on the aisle. The side aisle right when you go, go in the door.
0: Question, okay, so she came out around the counter.
1: Answer, to draw her attention from away from the counter, you know, around to where he was at.
0: Question, he grabbed her?
1: Answer, uh uh-huh.
0: Question, shoved her to you?
1: Answer, uh uh-huh.
0: Question, you twisted her arm up behind her back and...
1: Answer, yes, sir.
0: Question, did she start saying anything then?
1: Answer, no, she was, well, she was asking what's going on and she was scared and everything. In Titsdale, he told me that we were going to take her with us. And so I stood there in the door with her until he got the money out of the cash register. And I started walking out the door with her. And then that's when he came up beside me and grabbed her. And we went out to the pickup and put her in the pickup.
0: Before we get too much more into the transcript, let's just talk about that piece that we just went over.
1: So it starts in this section with the information of what was happening inside the store again he goes on to say that he was throwing potato chips around and it was the aisle right by the front door um so that is information that to me again strikes as okay well this is not information of how the store was actually left this is not what the investigators walked into when they got to the crime scene another big part of it for me is that the investigators at this point just sort of give him point by point what happened. They say, he grabbed her, he shoved her to you, and even going as far as, you twisted her arm up behind her back, and he just agrees.
0: So they're really, you know, it, it it's like one of the things that Jim Trainum said, who's actually giving the information in the interrogation? And here it really seems like, the investigator is giving the information, and you've got Tommy just kind of agreeing, saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, yes, sir. And then the other thing that really strikes me, the part where uh, Tommy's doing more of the talking, again, you're seeing things that aren't correct. Again, you're seeing Tommy using the name Titsdale for this person who he apparently you know, committed his first murder with and doesn't even know the guy's name and so that's another thing that really stands out to me with this part of the confession
1: and the fact that he gives the information that he was forcibly holding on to denise in the doorway waiting for odell to clear the cash register out and that all of them left the store together and we have an eyewitness of how Denise was leaving that store, and this is not the story that we have. It doesn't... It's not... It, the two do not line up. It is not, um,
0: it's not... It's not what we heard from the witnesses that, that arrived and realized that Denise was, was missing. The Timmons brothers and Gene Welchel, they didn't mention seeing more than one person. When Lenny Timmons walked in the store only Denise and one other person walked out next to him as he, as Lenny walked into the store and they didn't mention seeing any signs of struggle at all. In fact, originally they thought maybe she was in the bathroom or something because everything looked so normal at the store. It wasn't until really looking into it that they realized that something had gone awry. And certainly they didn't see someone, you know, holding Denise, uh, Hostage at the door. A group of people walking her out, forcing her out. Um, you know what we hear from Lenny is that it looked like a couple. It didn't look like there was any force that she was really just like walking along with him, and and whether there was force that he couldn't see, like a knife or a gun. Uh, we don't know, but what we do know is that what he saw doesn't match up with what Tommy is saying right here.
1: And that's huge, because we have an eyewitness who, saw, who was the last person to see Denise alive. That is a huge piece of information. And Jim, in our interview, talks about these red flags, these red flags that come up in a confession that should be indicators that maybe we are not on the right path and for me this is another red flag this is another red flag that comes up that says the information he is giving is not at all aligned with the information we already have it is the information they already have is good information it's from the person who was first in the store after Denise went missing that is a eyewitness account of this crime scene and what the information that we're getting from this individual is not lined up with this very with this information that we know is sort of super reliable. So the transcript goes on at this point to talk about where they were headed and Tommy says that they were headed out to this power plant, that that was Odell's plan, that he knew where it was and they were going to bring her out to this power plant and that there was yelling in the car and Odell was being physical with her at this point in the car That she was making some of a fuss, but he doesn't really talk much about it. Also, the transcript goes on at this point to get pretty graphic. And so we won't talk too much about the graphic details of it. It also becomes very difficult to follow. The information of what was happening to her once they got to the power plant is sort of all over the place. And these bits of information um, are hard to follow and are not useful at this point to kind of, to really pull apart. But one part that did kind of hold up that felt interesting was this bit that we'll talk about right now um, where Tommy talks about leaving.
0: So they're talking about what they were doing to Denise at that point. And then the detective says, question, what were you doing?
1: answer. He was holding her. I went back over and I was standing by the pickup and telling them that it's crazy and everything. And I was going to go to the house. And then I went down to the house and I stayed at my house for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then I was kind of worried about what if they just left her up there lying on the ground. And so I walked back up there and they were still there. And
0: so from there, they continue into talking about what what happened um, and some more graphic and pretty confusing details. And even that itself was confusing. It, it took a little while for me to understand that Tommy lived close enough to walk home and then come back.
1: Right. It really sort of messes with also this like timeline of things is that he was able to leave the scene of what was happening up by this power plant and that he was going to just go home, and spend twenty minutes at home, and then go back. And this scene is still actively happening. That you know, that he went up there to check on her, and that when he, the transcript goes on to say that when he returned, they were still, they had still violating her. They were still, you know, partaking in all of this sort of graphic detail.
0: And the confession, we're really trying to go in order of the way that it happens on the tape. The way that it happens on the tape is it it jumps around as much as we are jumping around. Um, And it gets not only is what Tommy saying confusing, but the order and the way that the officers are questioning him is pretty confusing. So it goes on and Tommy talks about Odell Titsworth wanting to know what they were going to do with her body. And Tommy suggests that there's a house and a ditch down by Sandy River and that they should take her down there. And they go down there and apparently put her clothes back on before leaving her there.
1: Right. And they bring her, they carry her, Out to a house in this ditch by sandy river
0: and then the officers completely change the direction of the questioning and back up to when they had originally abducted denise from the store and ask questions about that and so those questions go like this question how long would you estimate you all were inside the store
1: Answer, about two minutes.
0: Question, did anybody drive up during any of this time that you all were in the store?
1: Answer, I seen one car. It was pulled up by the icebox out there and telephone.
0: Question, did anybody get out?
1: Answer, no, they just pulled up when we were getting ready to leave.
0: And so again here, first off, it's super confusing the way that the police have this set up and are going about it. But then we also see even more so that... The facts that that could, in theory, be corroborated from this, the facts where there are outside witnesses who were there on the scene don't match up at all because Lenny and the Welchel brothers, they all came up in, in different cars. They were in two separate cars. Tommy only sees one car. Tommy says nobody got out of the car, which isn't true. Someone got out of the car right away and walked into the store. So none of this is adding up. And then they go on um, from immediately jumping back to ask about the things that happened to the store. They jump forward talking about the power plant where they had killed Denise and asking questions about that. And Agent Rogers goes on and says, question. All right. When you came back from your house and you saw the body laying in the back of the pickup Tell us about the cuts that you observed then.
1: Answer, she had tremendous cuts all over her body, all in her sides and on her legs.
0: Question, were they deep cuts?
1: Answer, on the side of her neck, yeah, the ones in her stomach was.
0: Question, how could you tell they were deep
1: cuts? Answer, I could see her ribs and her insides and her intestines.
0: Question, was there much blood?
1: Answer, yes, there was quite a bit of blood.
0: And so from here... The cops go on to ask more questions about what was done to Denise and her body. And then they shift immediately into just asking very specifics about her clothing. And it goes like this. Question. Can you tell me what her blouse looked like that she was wearing?
1: Answer. It was, it was white with little blue roses on it, I think. Blue roses.
0: Question. It had roses on it?
1: Answer, Uh uh-huh.
0: Question, you'll have to speak up a little bit.
1: Answer, I believe that's what it was, Little Roses.
0: Question, so it was a white blouse, button-up or slip-on?
1: Answer, it's button-up.
0: Question, did it have buttons on the collar?
1: Answer, Uh uh-huh.
0: Question, or was it just a regular collar?
1: Answer, it had buttons on the collars and then it had little fringe deals around her collar and around the end of her arm, end of the sleeves.
0: Question, by little fringe, do you mean a lace kind of deal?
1: Answer, yeah, uh uh-huh.
0: Question, so it had lace on the sleeves and lace on the collar?
1: Answer, collar.
0: Question, and it was a floral type pattern, flowers on her shirt?
1: Answer, yeah.
0: Question, what kind of britches did she had on?
1: Answer, she had blue jeans.
0: Question, how about the type of shoes she had on?
1: Answer, I don't know, I didn't recognize the shoes.
0: And so here
1: we have the police
0: asking about her clothing. And in a lot of those questions, it is, you know, like what Jim Trainum mentioned, it seems like they're really giving him that information and he's agreeing with them. And the other thing that really stands out, you know, Nicole, you mentioned in an earlier episode that they spoke with Denise's sister and kind of had her go through Denise's closet and try and figure out which blouses might have been missing, but the police never asked any of the three men who were at the store who saw Denise when she was being abducted what blouse she was wearing. So even if this description of the blouse is correct, the w- the way that we have to verify it from the people who saw it, that is never, ever followed up on by police. The only way that they're trying to determine what she was wearing is by having her sister go through her closet.
1: Yeah, and again, I think to reiterate what you had said, you have to look at who's telling the story. Is Tommy telling the story, or or are the detectives telling the story? And in this section, it's very clear that the story isn't really being told by Tommy. He's just sort of agreeing to what they kind of are putting in front of him and really just sort of, you know, answering questions the way they are kind of setting it up for him.
0: And then from there, the confession continues to kind of jump all around. They ask a few more questions about her injuries and what happened that night. And then as they're getting towards the end of the tape, the officers ask, question, is there anything else you'd like to add to this tape recording prior to us shutting it off?
1: Answer, I knew I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't drunk because I thought it was just a dream, and I know me, and I know I wouldn't do anything like that at all. It wasn't me.
0: And so this really sticks out to me because when we go back to uh, a couple episodes back when we talked about what Tommy had written about uh, what happened during those hours and hours of questioning where there was no video, he says that he had a dream about it. He even says before he went in, he was talking about this dream that he was having about it. And when he was told he failed the lie detector test, which we now know from Jim Traynum may or may not even be true. uh, You know, the first thing he says is, well, it must be because of this dream, right? Because I'm having these thoughts about what happened, but I wasn't actually there. And then here in the taped confession, again, you have him saying, well, it must be because I was drunk. I would never ever do something like this. I thought it was a dream the whole time.
1: Right. It's this last bit of information that really feels confusing when you are reading the transcript. It just kind of is like, hey, do you have anything else to say? And he's kind of, you know, yeah, I, I knew this wasn't me. And it's it's this reference to this dream. The detectives don't even pick up on it. They leave the information. He says that. They go on to—the transcript goes on to end with him being asked about his education level, if he's been able to hold a job. You know, it it's sort of they—he gives them this, this information about a dream again. They sort of don't touch it. They go on to, more than anything, kind of reinforce that he understands what he's being asked. He understands what he's been—has said— he's ed- he was able to get to the 11th grade and it kind of and then the then the tape ends. You know, we are sort of left with this very very choppy confession, a lot of conflicting information, a lot of information that goes back and forth from both the detectives and from Tommy. And at the end this is what was was the nail in the coffin for him.
0: And as As we go on and look into what the police did in their investigation after this confession, we'll reference back to the confession again and pieces that we went over in the confession. But yeah, what we have right here is pretty choppy. The details that we do have already don't seem to match up. But as we covered before, after this confession with Tommy, they lock him up then they go and they get carl fontenot and they bring him in for questioning and uh it's a similar situation they do questioning with no video camera on and then they have a taped confession from him after uh spending some time asking him questions that were not on tape so next we're going to go over that confession uh that taped confession from carl Before we get into Carl's confession, we're going to take a quick moment here for a word from our sponsor, which for today's episode is me. Or sp- more specifically, the law office of Caleb Arring. You know how some small firm and solo practitioner attorneys have trouble getting clients and getting paid? Well, I take the skills that I've learned as a solo practitioner and I teach other solo practitioners and small firm attorneys how to get clients and get paid. And I will be hosting a free webinar on Wednesday, November 16th at 5 p.m. Pacific time called Getting Clients and Getting Paid for Small Firm and Solo Practitioners. That's a free webinar and if you want to join that webinar you can sign up by going to unraveledpod.com/webinar. Again, that web address is unraveledpod/webinar. And now we'll get into Carl's confession. Okay, so now we're going to talk about Carl's confession tape. Again, I will be in the role of the officer, and Nicole will be in the role of Carl. And it starts off kind of the same, Uh, just really briefly the officers are saying that they're making a tape statement and that Carl has been given his Miranda rights and that he's not being forced to make this statement. And then they jump in really quickly uh, to talking about what happened. Question. Where were you all at then, Carl?
1: Answer. Right there by the gas pumps.
0: Question. Okay, you and...
1: Answer. Me and Tommy were standing beside the gas on the other side of the gas pumps by the passenger door.
0: Question. Okay, Were you between the pickup and the...
1: Answer, and the gas pumps, right. And then after that, Odell forced her around to the other side, or Odell forced her into our side. She got in, then me and Tommy got in, and after that, we drove away from there, drove down, went out behind the plant.
0: Question, which plant are you talking about now?
1: Answer, the one out, right off the bypass.
0: Question, the power plant?
1: Answer, yes.
0: Question... Off of the bypass on Reeves Road?
1: Answer, off the bypass, yeah.
0: So here we see a couple of things. And number one, we see a story about McAnnelly's that doesn't match the facts that we have so far. Right, we have the Timmins brothers and Gene Welchel, who didn't see anybody else there, but Carl seems to be saying that they were There in plain sight to be seen that they were standing by the door when Denise got into the pickup truck, even though no one was seen standing by the truck at all. And then we also have it where it's not matching the story that Tommy has told either, where Tommy's saying all three of them were in the store, they were throwing things around, you know, they all came out with her together. So it's not matching the facts that we have from the witnesses and it's not matching the story that Tommy has given in his tape confession.
1: Yeah, I think that when I look at these again kind of coming back to these red flags that start coming up and this is this comes up right out of the gates. This is the first few minutes of this interview. Um, of this tape that we have in the this transcript is that Carl's story is completely different than Tommy's and completely different than the eyewitnesses that we have at McAnally's. So it's that first sort of indication very, very quickly that we are not getting the same information. We are getting multiple stories now of what happened. It also goes on, I think, that part that we just spoke about is the sort of who is telling the story again. When he's trying to give the information of where they took Denise, um, he needs help on where this place is, what power plant we're talking about, what road it is off of. It again, it needs to be is is looking at who is telling the story, and I don't really see that Carl is telling the story.
0: Exactly here, you see the police telling him which exit it is, you know, giving the specifics. So then after this, they go on and talk about the fact that. Um, This is Odell Titsworth's truck that they are using, which differs from the fact that the story that was told to the police that originally led them to go after Tommy was that this truck belonged to Tommy's friend, Janet. Um, And then they really quickly go on to talk about the crime that happened that night. And the police go on and ask, Question, did anyone have a weapon on them?
1: Answer, Odell.
0: Question, what kind of weapon did he have?
1: Answer, he had a pocket knife.
0: Question, what kind of pocket knife was it?
1: Answer, I would say a buck or a case.
0: Question, lock blade type?
1: Answer, it was a lock blade, one blade knife.
0: Question, show me about how long the knife was with it open.
1: Answer, with it open, about like that, indicating. The blade was about five inches.
0: Question, okay.
1: Answer, the handle was about four.
0: Question, all right, did it appear to be a sharp knife or a dull knife?
1: Answer, it was sharp.
0: Question, did he carry it on a scabbard on his belt?
1: Answer, yes.
0: So here again, we kind of see the police leading a lot to get Carl's answers to match up with what we heard Tommy saying in his confession about the knife. And so just based on... What we learned from Jim Trainum, it seems again here like the police are leading these questions. They've gotten some information from this confession with Tommy. And now they seem to be giving this information to Carl in the confession um, to have these specific details lining up. So then they go on and talk more about what happened. And then the police say, question What kind of shirt did she have on? Was it a pullover type or a button-up type, Carl?
1: Answer, button-up.
0: Question, did it have anything that you noticed about it as far as any designs, or...
1: Answer, just the ruffles around the buttons and sleeves. The sleeves had elastic-like in them.
0: Question, was it a short-sleeved shirt?
1: Answer, yeah, it was short-sleeved.
0: Question, did it have any lace around the collar?
1: Answer, yes, it had ruffles around the collar like the front.
0: So here again, we're seeing uh, the parts of this description that don't match up are that Tommy said there there was roses or a floral pattern, and we don't get that from Carl, and we don't see the police leading Carl to say that, whereas you do get this information about the lace that's on the shirt, but the first person who brings up the lace is the officer doing the questioning, not Carl.
1: Right. It's very clear that he doesn't really have much in terms of what this shirt did look like. And the information he does have is, is there a design, and he, he doesn't notice any, when he's asked if there is a pattern on the shirt, he says there's just ruffles around, around the collar and the sleeves. He doesn't, he's just, the information that he does have is very, very limited and doesn't line up, and the rest of the information is sort of fed to him by the officer.
0: So from there, you have them going on, asking him some more questions about what happened, which again is somewhat muddled and confusing. At no point does Carl talk about Tommy leaving and going home for 20 minutes or Tommy leaving and going anywhere at all for any period of time. In Carl's uh, rendition of what happened, they're all together the whole time. At one point, the officers also asked Carl what time of day that this was happening. And at this point in the story, we're at least probably a half hour to an hour after the abduction of Denise, which happened right around 8.30. And Carl's answer is that it was almost dark, but this would have been already 9 or 9.30 at night. So it wouldn't make sense that it was almost dark. It would have already been very dark so there we're seeing another detail that doesn't really seem to match up with what happened so then the police continue to ask more about what happened and what was going on and then they start asking some more specific details question had anyone cut her with the knife
1: answer at one i seen blood on her side is all i seen
0: question on her right side
1: answer yeah
0: Question, how did she get it?
1: Answer, I, undoubtedly Odell, because he was the only one that had the knife at the time. Mere Tommy never handled the knife.
0: So here, again, we see a couple of things. Number one, Carl doesn't seem to be seeing very significant cuts from this knife, whereas Tommy is saying, you can see her ribs, you can see her intestines, and that doesn't seem to match up. And also, I I don't think we read this part of Tommy's confession, but Tommy says at one point that he had the knife and uh, just made some scratches on Denise because the knife was actually kind of dull. And that doesn't match up either because Carl is saying that neither he nor Tommy ever had the knife. And Tommy's saying that, yeah, he did at one point have the knife. So this part of it doesn't add up either. Then they go on to talk about what happened with Denise's body. And Carl says that they found an old house that was abandoned, that they put her in a hole in the floor of the house, and they got some gasoline that they siphoned out of Odell Titsworth's truck and then dumped that gasoline on her, and set the whole place on fire so that they could burn all of the evidence. And then they left, and at one point he says they went back the next morning to burn it down, and the police follow up on that and ask if they burned it down the night when they were there or the next morning, and he says, oh yeah, we burned it down the night when we were there, we just went back the next morning to make sure that it had completely burned down.
1: And one of the big parts of this bit of the story is that this fire and this siphoning of gas and this lighting this house on fire, that is a huge piece that does not line up with what Tommy had to say. Tommy never mentions, you know, burning down a house or dumping her and then lighting her on fire. I mean, this, this is a huge part that does not line up for me at all.
0: And this is, again, where we see, you know, when we look at those important things that Jim Traynham mentioned, like, we're not seeing that it's reliable. We're not seeing that it's being corroborated. These confessions aren't even being corroborated by each other, the two people, two of the three people who would apparently actually know what happened. So there's definitely a lot of red flags coming up here. So the police continue to ask questions about what happened before they burned the body and what happened after kind of going back and forth in this really weird and confusing fashion. And then they start asking about what she was wearing at the time that they put her in the house to be burned. Question. Did she have clothes on at that time or
1: answer? No, she didn't
0: question. Where were her clothes
1: answer? They were back at the truck
0: question. Okay. What did you all do with the clothes?
1: Answer, took them up there. Me and Tommy went up and got them and brought them back to the house. Put them in the hole with her and burned them.
0: Question, all right, did you put her shoes in the hole with her?
1: Answer, yes, all of her belongings, everything.
0: Question, all right. Question, you say she was wearing...
1: Answer, even her...
0: Question, tennis shoes?
1: Answer, yeah, they were soft shoes, soft-soled shoes.
0: So... Here again, we see this huge digression from what Tommy has said, right? Tommy's saying, well, we put her clothes back on her and then dump the body. And Carl is saying, me and Tommy had to walk all the way back to the truck, get her clothes, and then bring them in and we threw them on top of her. And none of this is, none of it's making sense. I don't even really see a way that they could be talking about the same events. I mean... They're not even at the same place in these two different stories.
1: Yeah, and I think that when I read these and, and we put them up next to each other, and hopefully it is becoming clear in our talking about them separately, is that from the detective's point of view, these are the same detectives that have done both interviews, is that what is happening for the detectives who continue to move forward with these confessions, continue to see these as reliable and, you know, who continue to see this as reliable information and Jim talks about tunnel vision and I am I'm so interested in if this is what we're seeing is this what tunnel vision looks like where these stories are side by side they're given by the same detectives and they are completely different stories yet they are being looked at as reliable information
0: absolutely And then what we see happening in this confession is that the police continued kind of going back and forth in this confusing order, and then the information comes out that Carl had actually just met Odell Titsworth that day, and so then the cops say, question, what does Odell Titsworth look like?
1: Answer, kind of tall, slim.
0: Question, all right, does he have any scars, marks, or tattoos that you're aware of?
1: Answer, I didn't see any of that.
0: Question, How long did you say that you've known Odell?
1: Answer, that day. That day Tommy and me at that party, he'd met. I'd met him just then.
0: Question, you hadn't ever seen him before? Answer, never did know him. Question, I think earlier, Carl, you said that you'd known him a year, a year and a half or something like that? Answer,
1: Huh? uh I'd known him that day.
0: So here we see a little bit of confusion around how long Carl had even known Odell Titsworth but what eventually comes out that I just want to point out right now is that Odell Titsworth is actually covered in tattoos. His arms and legs are visibly covered in tattoos and so it almost seems like Carl might not even know Odell Titsworth, this person who was the ringleader of Supposedly everything that happened that night So from there we see Carl's, uh, Carl's confession tape go on uh, Very similar to the end of Tommy's They ask a little bit about his work, his education level Which is 12th grade And, and that's about it They wrap up the confession And, and that's that And so one thing that we haven't touched on that we said we would touch on last week but didn't really get a chance to because we had so much uh, great information from Jim Trainum, is why we aren't talking about a confession from Odell Titsworth. We've got, you know, these people who are pointing to Odell Titsworth as the person who was... You know, the main perpetrator in this crime, and not just that, now that they've ruled out Jeanette's truck as the truck that was used, Odell Titsworth is the only remaining connection to a truck. So, the police did go to Odell Titsworth to question him, and they wanted to bring him in and ask him about what happened and get a confession from him as well, so that they would have all three of the confessions. However, when the police went to question Odell Titsworth, he said that there was no way that he could have done it because he had a broken arm at the time. And it turned out that Odell Titsworth's arm had been broken by an Ada police officer on April 26, 1984, which was two days before the murder of Denise and he had a very painful spiral fracture that would have made it impossible for him to have physically forced Denise in the truck or to really be the ringleader the way that it is described by Tommy and Carl. And, you know, after they found that out, the police didn't follow up with it anymore. They didn't look into getting more of a confession from Odell Titsworth or look into his involvement at all anymore. And what really stands out to me is that, you know, we've just gone through all of these massive red flags in the confessions from Tommy and Carl, where the police just had their tunnel vision and didn't pay any attention to these red flags. But this one red flag from Adele Titsworth and the police just are hands off and they're done. They don't even consider the fact that Maybe he was there, but Tommy or Carl were the ringleader and Odell wasn't the one doing super physical parts of this abduction and murder. It's just like, no, Odell Titsworth wasn't part of it. We're not bringing him in. And that was it.
1: It is such a huge piece of how this sort of falls apart for me because Odell... Is the ringleader by both Tommy and Carl's account. He is found to have, even though they don't, it is not clear whether or not these individuals actually know Odell, but in their stories they say that he is this ringleader. It was his truck that was used. He had done all of the sort of physical lifting her and bringing her and, you know, was wielding the knife and. They see that he has a broken arm when they go and bring him in for questioning. Also bringing up again that his questioning was not videotaped. He was brought in. It was a much more aggressive line of questioning. And I wonder for me what my mind kind of plays with a little bit is did Odell, did they drop Odell as a suspect because Odell is much more savvy with the sort of the way that questioning works, the way the legal process works. He had had much more interactions with the police than both Carl and Tommy. And so is that a reason why they dropped him? Because he would have been the voice of reason in this, saying these stories don't make any sense.
0: Well, I think they dropped him because he had so much experience being interrogated, like you're saying, that they weren't going to be able to get a confession out of him. And so they were like, all right, well, this doesn't add up, and we're not going to be able to get a confession, so let's drop it. But it, it, it's, it's absurd to me, honestly.
1: And, and in the dropping of him, then they've also dropped the truck. And so we are now left with two individuals who committed this heinous crime. Yet, if Odell wasn't there, and Odell wasn't involved, then there is no truck then there was no way that they had shown up in Odell's truck because there is no truck available. The whole story was based off of this truck that belonged to Odell, and that's how they got out to McAnally's. So if Odell wasn't there, then how did they get there?
0: That's a great question, and I think that we will talk about that and some of the other investigation that went on after these confessions to try and corroborate what was said we'll talk about all of that in next week's episode and what what else happened after these the police got these confessions and what else did they do to try and prove or disprove these confessions.
1: Yeah, and I hope that we were able to sort of clearly tell this story. These these transcripts are hard to follow. They are they give a lot of conflicting information, but bringing into it the information that we have from Jim, I hope that we really were able to kind of highlight the way that these detectives were definitely trapped in sort of this tunnel vision, only looking for evidence that backed their own stories up. And also the way information that they needed, the information that only they had, how that information was just sort of to these two individuals and the way that as the confessions went on and as Odell is let off the hook that the whole investigation sort of falls apart at that moment yet they moved forward
0: absolutely absolutely and we'll get into all those details next week so make sure that you join us again next Thursday for a new episode of Unraveled Thank you for listening to Unraveled, Season 1, The Nightmarinada. Your hosts are Nicole Richards and Caleb Aring. Producing, mixing, and editing done by Caleb Aring and Matt Van Horn. Music by Broke for Free. Voice talent by Joe Eager. Tune in next week to listen to more of this case unravel.